0: go to Matthew chapter number 5. We are finally back. Amen? Matthew chapter number 5. God has given us liberty and freedom to get back to our New Testament study. So so grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 5. And and how many of y'all can feel God in this place today? I feel like the Lord is up to something. He's been up to something. People have been getting saved. We're seeing the book of Acts take place in our church. The Bible says the Lord added to them daily such as should be saved. Those that were against. In other words, they were not just getting saved at the church house or at the temple. uh, It was daily. We've been having people saved throughout the week. One got saved in the chicken house. (laughs) Matter of fact, I talked with him this morning at Jackson. He said, I don't know if anybody's ever knelt down in chicken litter and got saved. I said, well, all I know is you're just going to grow faster than the rest of us. Amen. What's the point? I don't care where you at. I don't. I, my dad was coming out of the bathroom stalls in the bathroom down at Bethel Baptist Church, and there was went into another room where the the sink was and everything. And a guy called him about halfway through and said, "I need to get saved." Dad said, "Well, let me get over in here and watch me." He said, "Now he's all right, right there." <laughs> hey, the bathroom, the washroom, the cooking room—no matter. When you know you need it, you get it. Amen? Amen? Amen. My, my, my. It's good to be saved. It's good to be saved. I, 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 I have had an opportunity yesterday to preach in Chattanooga at an uh, uh, outdoor event. We had a great time and, and, and got back last night. And, uh, and so I'm looking for something big today. Uh, I think God is really, really going to speak to us. Uh, there's going to be some conviction of salvation today, but there's going to be some conviction and a challenge to us who are saved. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, and this is going to be the main thrust of the, of the message today. And you'll see what I'm getting at when I get there. Uh, but we're going to ask this question before, and then we're going to try to address it again at the end. How many of y'all know there are, there, there is the person You are that everybody sees. In other words, there's the person that everybody thinks you are. And there's the person you really are. There's the person that everybody sees. And then there's the person that's alone. Now, here's the question. Does the person you are... When you are alone, when nobody's watching, is that the same person that everybody sees? It's pretty stout. It's pretty stout. And you're going to find out through through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what we're going to be dealing with today, that God cares not just about what you do. He cares about who you are. How many of y'all know you can do right and not be right? Amen. My, my, my. I really want somebody else to deliver this one. But here I am. And here you are. So let's just get to it. Amen. Matthew chapter number 5. In verse number 20, let's begin in verse number 20. The Sermon on the Mount consists of three chapters, chapters five, chapter six, and chapter seven, okay? So we're not going to have time to read all three chapters, so I will give you homework and go home and read that. We're going to summarize it today. We're going to take what we can apply to our life today, all right? And, And so that's where we're going. That's why we're going where we're going, okay? Verse number 20, if you're there, say amen. For I, what color is your writing? Who's talking? All right. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you remember last week we talked about a forged righteousness? That we are living in a society today that's created their own set of rules, their own righteousness. Listen, the only righteousness that's going to get you in is God's righteousness. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. It is not your own set of beliefs, your own set of feelings, your own set of thinking, what you think might be right. He said, because see, that's the problem with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They had their own set, but God said, if you don't exceed that, if yours is not better than what they got, you ain't getting in. Now verse 21, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's an outward act. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raca shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if any, in other words, he's addressing the inward. Okay. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into the prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. There's an outward act. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. In my Bible, in my Bible, I wrote beside heart, I put a little arrow there, and I wrote the word key. That is a key word. The key verse of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is verse 20, so we'll read that again. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Throughout the the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to find that Jesus is digging and Jesus is dissecting and he is trying to determine, not trying to determine, he's helping them to see that it's not just what everybody else can see. It's who you really are. And I'm asking you this this morning, who are you? Who are you? Are you the same when nobody's watching? Because that's who Jesus cares about. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your blessings and I thank you for the privilege of being in an awesome place with some awesome people, with an awesome choir and awesome music and just just great servants. God, we're down to the place where it's it's the nitty-gritty. Lord, I pray that you will take your word and you will carve into our hearts and our minds your truth. I pray that you'll fill me with the Holy Spirit. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't and don't let me forget anything I should. I pray that I'll be anointed with glory and anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your word in truth. I pray, Lord, not just for the letter of the law, the letter of the word, but also for the unction behind it and the spirit. I pray that your perfect will be done. I love you with all of my heart and I thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You may be seated. As a way of review, as a way of review, I put in your notes. So it's been so long since we have uh, been in this subject of uh, the book of Matthew. We learned several months ago, we learned that Matthew is the book of the king. It's the gospel of the king. The different gospels portray the Lord Jesus Christ in different ways: the King, a servant, the Son of Man, the Son of God. But this is describing the King. Matthew is about the King, and we studied the very first lesson that we had in Matthew was the King and His Kingdom. Say that with me: the King and His and His Kingdom. We learned that the wise men came and said, "Where is He that is born? What King of the Jews?" They were coming to find the King. He came. As the king, he was the promised king that all throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament teachers were saying, God is going to send us a king. He's going to come from the lineage of David. He's going to be the son of David and he's going to come. He's going to be our Messiah. He's going to be our king. And Jesus arrived and he is king. Say amen. Amen. So we find the king and his kingdom. The second message was the king and his herald. The king and his herald. This is John Baptist. How many of y'all remember John Baptist? Came out in the wilderness preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Somebody say amen. Amen. Oh yeah, John Baptist, they they didn't know who he was, they didn't know what authority he had, but son, they came repenting and getting ready. They said, are you the one that we are waiting on? Are you the king? Are you the Messiah? He said, oh no, I am not, He matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes, but there's one coming after me. Oh, say amen, one coming after me. I baptize with water, but he'll baptize with fire and the Holy Ghost. You see, every king had a herald. Every king had a forerunner that would go before him and prepare the way for the king that's coming. Say amen. Amen. And we talked about the king and his herald. But then, thirdly, we talked about the king and his testing. Every king had to be tested. He had to be tested to see if he was worthy of the kingdom. And we know this is the temptation of the Lord. How many of y'all remember when he was in the wilderness? Fasting and the devil comes and tempts him. And thank God he won. Amen. Amen. He passed the test with flying colors. Then we had the king and his court. The king and his court, his administration, if you will. His court, which was the choosing of his disciples. He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Amen. So we had the king and his court. Now today, I want to talk about the king and his constitution. The king and his constitution. That is the Sermon on the Mount. You say, what is the Sermon on the Mount? The king is delivering, some have called it this, some have called it the manifesto of the monarch. It is the constitution for the kingdom. How will his kingdom be ran? How will his kingdom be ruled? What will be the prevalent uh, theme of his kingdom? And I believe it's this, righteousness. All throughout the Old Testament, it says he will rule with a righteous reign. He will rule in righteousness. And Jesus sits down and he begins to describe the righteousness that's going to be there during his kingdom. And by the way, guys, it was supposed to be right then, but they rejected the king. But that doesn't mean that they've messed up God's plan because one day he's coming back and the kingdom will be there. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, the king is giving the constitution for the kingdom, the manifesto for the kingdom, how we will be operating, how we will be ruled. Now, does everybody understand that? Now, there's, there's some confusion sometimes because we will try uh, 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 mistakenly to try to apply some things from the kingdom to modern-day church today. And you can't always do that. Now, there are some truths and principles that we can draw out of the Sermon on the Mount and apply to today that we find also in the epistles. But mainly, Jesus is giving them the constitution for the kingdom. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. You say, well, why do we need to read about it now? We're in the church age. Because there are some things we can take from this. There is a truth that I want you to see that we can use and apply today. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Now... I want to, first, first off, uh, to stay with the context, okay, to stay with the context of these chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We know it's called the what on the mount? Sermon. Everybody say it. Sermon. Now, most sermons, most sermons, uh, uh, unless you're unorthodox like me, there's no telling what's going to be in mine. but most sermons have a, they have an introduction, they have usually main points, some, some. Two, three, four, five, some I've seen have 12, but basically you have your introduction and then you have your, your main points and then you have your conclusion. Guess what? That's all here in these three chapters. So let's look at them and then let's look at what we can take for ourselves today. All right. As far as the Sermon on the Mount, we find the introduction in the first promised blessings, which is chapters five. I didn't put these in your notes. so You need to write this down beside this. The introduction is found in chapters 5, 3 through 12. Alright, write that down beside that, that, that first line there. Which is the promised blessings. Y'all know. Uh, blessed, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure. Don't, don't you like a sermon that starts out with blessings? Amen. And by the way, the word blessed here means happy. Happy, happy, happy. I'm glad he's going to have a happy kingdom. Amen? Amen. Listen, that is chapters 5, 3 through 12. Then the first point, he deals with the citizens of the kingdom. The citizens of the kingdom. I don't remember what I left blank, but anyway, you got it. I I didn't leave anything blank Wednesday night. (coughs) I gave out all the lessons and I forgot. I, I, I copied off the wrong one. I copied off mine instead of theirs. They cheated Wednesday night. So we find the citizens, he describes the citizens of the kingdom in chapters 5, 13 through 16. Write that down because you need to know where to find that. I should have printed that off, but I I forgot. So that's chapters 5, verses 13 through 16. We find the citizens of the kingdom. All right, then we find the righteousness of the kingdom. The righteousness of the kingdom. Basically, righteousness is what is right. Right living. Right behavior. What is right? The righteousness of the kingdom is found in chapters 5, verse 17, through, put it dash, through chapter 7, verse 12. You will find Jesus describing the righteousness of the kingdom. Chapters 5, verse 17, through chapter 7, verse number 12. All right? Then number 3. These Now, now keep in mind what we're doing is we're outlining the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus Listen, this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. He has an introduction. He has a main point, a second point. The third point is the encouragement to enter the kingdom. The encouragement to enter the kingdom. That's the application. All right? That is chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 27. Chapter 7, verse 13 through 27 is the encouragement to enter the kingdom. And then we find the conclusion. We see what is the conclusion. It's the effect on those who hear the sermon. That's chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. So if you are reading this in context, if you are studying this, and what Jesus is saying about the constitution of the kingdom, that he will be ruling and he will be reigning in, you will find it here in this sermon. You will find the introduction, you will find point one, point two, point three, and then also the conclusion in chapters five, six, and seven. And and staying in context, that's what it's going to be. One day there's going to be a kingdom, one day the king is going to return, and he's going to establish his throne, the throne of David, and he's going to rule this world with a rod of iron. Say amen. And he will rule in righteousness. Now, is everybody on the same page? That is the context of chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, I want to take, what can we get out of this? What can we apply to our life? What can we learn from this that will help us today in the church age, in the age of grace? Here's where we want to go. That was the sermon. Now, let's look at the application of the sermon. Number one, number one, here's where we want to go. Number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to see the theme of the sermon. The theme of the sermon. And I'm going to go back and read that verse we began with. Matthew 5, 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The main theme of the Sermon on the Mount is true righteousness. Say that with me. Say it again. Now, if there is a true righteousness, then that must mean there is a false righteousness. Now, let me say that again. If there is a true righteousness, then there, that must mean there is a false righteousness. There are people today, there are people today that even go to churches today that have their own set of rules. That's the only way I know how to uh, uh, articulate this to where people can understand. That they've created their own sense of right. And wrong. That's why they can live wicked. They can do things that are completely, totally, diabolically uh, contrary to God's word and yet feel okay and yet be satisfied with their self because they are okay because they're passing and they're obeying their own rules. It's like when you go play golf. It's like when you go play golf. Some people will say, well, i tell you what. I'm shooting in the 60s, or I'm shooting in the 70s, and if you don't play golf, that's good. That's really good. But then when you go play with them, you find out they hit two, three balls off the tee. If they hit it out of bounds, they'll just hit another and won't count that. If it's behind the tree, they'll move them behind the tree, and then they're, and they're satisfied. Now, nope, no kidding. My second ball is always better than my first ball. And if you create your own set of rules, yes, it's going to be different. You know, I found out in the church today, oh yes, I love Jesus, but you don't obey Him. Oh yes, I, I love God, but you're not faithful and you're not committed. Oh yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And yet you're breaking what God said to do. You're living contrary to the Word of God. You're one thing at church and you're another thing at home. Don't start that garbage with me. Because what you say you are and what you truly are does not match. That was the problem of the Pharisees. It was all outward. It was all for show. On the outside, they looked really good. On the inside, they were really bad. And Jesus is saying, I know you heard. I know you heard. don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you right now. And then he goes and dig, digs in the heart. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. You may be proud of yourself because you've never cheated on your wife. But what have you been doing on that computer? You might have done right by saying or not touching. But you might not be right because you're thinking in your heart is somewhere else. It's going to get worse. Y'all might as well just buckle up. (laughs) Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You're not getting in. The main theme of the Sermon on the Mount is true righteousness. The religious leaders had an artificial external. Say that with me. Come on, everybody. Now, Now, underline those two words right there in your notes. Underline those two words right there in your notes. Artificial and external. Man, that is so today. The Bible says they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. It is artificial. It is external. It's on the outside. It's only what you see. An external righteousness based on the law. But the righteousness that Jesus described is a true and vital righteousness that begins internally, in the heart. The Pharisees were concerned about the minute details of conduct. But they neglected the major matter of character. You see, conduct flows out of character. Being a master teacher, our Lord did not begin this important sermon with a negative criticism of the scribes and Pharisees. He began with a positive emphasis on righteous character and the blessings that it brings to the life of the believer. The Pharisees taught that righteousness was an external thing, a matter of obeying rules and regulations. Righteousness could be measured by praying, giving, fasting, In the Beatitudes, in the picture of the believer, Jesus described Christian character that flowed from? How many of y'all remember the story? How many of y'all remember the story of the religious guy in the temple saying, God, I'm glad I did this and I did that and this and that and this and that and oh, that over there and this and this and this and that and I'm glad I ain't like that one. I'm I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. That sinner that all he can do is beat his breasts and say, oh, how unworthy I am. Oh, God, I'm glad I'm not like that one. You know what? He had his own set of rules. And by his own set of rules, he looked pretty good. But there's a problem. God can look deeper than you can see in the mirror. Hello. Do you match? Does the one that's going to go home in a minute match the one that showed up today? True righteousness is the theme of the sermon. What's the thrust of the sermon number 2? Number 2, what's the thrust of the sermon? The thrust of the sermon on the mount is that the message and work of the king are first and foremost internal and not external. Underline that. Underline that. The thrust of the sermon on the mount is that the message and work of the king are first and foremost internal and not external, spiritual and moral, rather than physical and political. Here we find no politics or social reform. His concern is for what men, his concern is for what men, because what they, determines what they, matter of fact, underline that too. His concern, is for what men are, because what they are, determines what they do. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. You remember when he commanded Samuel to go uh, anoint the king, the next king? And, and he said it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, 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 one of the sons of Jesse. How many of y'all remember that? Now Jesse had a bunch of sons. He had a bunch of well-looking, good-looking boys. I'm talking about strapping young men from the oldest to the youngest. Man, they looked like they were well-qualified. And on the outside, they looked real good. And they looked like they had, uh, 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 I mean, they, they were qualified for royalty. But God, he just kept passing them by, passing them by, passing them by. Why? Why? Look what it says, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his that's his outside. Or on the height of a stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord, I said, I said, the Lord looketh on the heart. Do you know what? The Sermon on the Mount is that. He said, You've heard, don't commit adultery. But I want to know what you've been thinking. You've heard, don't mess with your hands. But I want to know what your heart doing. I'm looking deeper than what people can see. I'm here to tell you, God cares about who you are. God doesn't just care about what you do. Yes, you need to act right. Yes, you need to live right. Yes, you need to talk right. Yes, you need to, listen, dress right. But you know, you, the, if, if you will be right on the inside, it'll show on the outside. And we can't be hypocrites. And we can't be Pharisees. If there's ever been a day in the history of the church is a day when we need to get hypocrisy out of the church because sinners are seeing hypocritical people who are saying one thing out there and they're doing another thing in the church and they see you come sing in the church and act like hell itself out there and it's destroying the witness of Christ. Because you don't match. Your outside doesn't match the inside. Now, what's the danger of that? Well, preach, if I just keep acting right, if I just keep doing right, and all they ever see is the, the one I want them to see, no, 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 because you can't keep that up. And sooner or later, what's really on the inside is going to come out on the outside, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Amen. You can only fake it so long. Amen. And let me say this. Can I just go ahead and say this? Parents, parents, if you expect to reach your kid, You better be the same at home as you are here. If you're something different at home than you are in the house of God, I don't care what preacher you put them under, and I don't care what youth leader you put them under, if it don't match, I'm telling you, it's not their fault, it's your fault. He cares about who you are. He wants to fundamentally change you. Not just what you do. He wants to change who you are. He said in Romans, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them to love the Lord, them who are called according to his purpose. Say that with me, his. Purpose. Say it again, his. Purpose. His purpose. What is his purpose? He tells you in the next verse, verse 29. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does that mean? It means the moment you get saved, God begins to work on you and he begins to change you and conform you to the image of his son. He is changing. And listen, by the way, if you are not in a process of becoming more and more like Jesus, there's a great possibility you might not even be saved. Because God starts that process. God starts digging from the inside out. God begins to work and God begins to change and Jesus cares about who you are on the inside. And by the way, you're gonna find out right now, I got some notes where you. you're gonna find out this is what got Jesus killed. This right here is what got Jesus killed. Now, let's read. Look at, flip your paper, look at your notes. Having announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Having announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand, his earthly kingdom, his physical kingdom here on this earth. In Matthew 5 through 7, he declares the principles of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount gives a divine constitution for the righteous government of the earth. Whenever the kingdom of heaven is established on earth, it will be according to that constitution, which may be regarded as an explanation of the word righteousness. And this is where I was saying a while ago, that the prophets described his reign and it describes the kingdom. Isaiah 11, Daniel chapter 9. And in this sense, the Sermon on the Mount is pure law. Not what the Pharisees made it out to be, but right, pure law. And transfers, transfers, watch this now, underline this, underline this. Transfers the offense from the overt act to the? Y'all with me? That's pure righteousness. In other words, pure righteousness deals with not just what you did or didn't do, but why you did it. In other words, you may not have murdered him, but you did in your heart. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, 22, 27, 28. This describes it perfectly. He said, you heard this, but I'm telling you that. You heard, don't murder But I'm telling you, don't be angry without a cause. He said, you heard, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't lust after a woman in your heart. You know what he's saying? I want you to be different. When a man doesn't lust after a woman, that's because that's what's in him. Listen, he may not go and commit adultery with this woman, but if he's doing it in his head... Y'all get it. You know you get it. You don't want to get it, but you're getting it. Here lies, now watch this. I said that I'm going to explain why Jesus got killed. Here lies the deeper reason why the Jews rejected the kingdom. They had reduced righteousness to mere ceremonialism. And the Old Testament idea of the kingdom is a mere affair of outward show and power. They were never rebuked for expecting a visible and powerful kingdom. But the words of the prophet should have prepared them to expect also the poor in spirit or and the meek should share in it. In other words, it's not you have a promised kingdom, but you got to be right to go into that kingdom. Alright? The 72nd Psalm. The 72nd Psalm, which was universally received by them as a description of the kingdom, was full of this. And for these reasons, the Sermon on the Mount and its primary, and here's where here, stay with this now. The Sermon on the Mount in its primary application gives neither the privilege nor the duty of the church. These are found in the epistles. Under the law of the kingdom, for example, no one may hope for forgiveness who has not forgiven. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. But that's not what's said to the church. In the epistles, we see. what are we? What, why do we forgive? Why do we forgive? It says this, the Christian is exhorted to forgive because he is already Amen. forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, forgive because you have been. Forgiven. That's who he tells the church. But in the kingdom, in the kingdom, it's a, different, it's, it's, it's a different dispensation, if you will. He is telling you, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. We are forgiven because we've already been. When I say we, I'm talking about the church. We forgive because we have already been forgiven. forgiven. But there is a beautiful, a beautiful moral application to the Christian. It always remains true that the poor in spirit rather than the proud are blessed. And those who mourn because of their sins and who are meek in the consciousness of them will hunger and thirst after righteousness, hungering and will be filled. The merciful are blessed, the pure in heart do see God. These principles fundamentally reappear in the teaching of the epistles. Now here's where I want to draw it all together. How many of y'all can see where we're going with this? The theme theme is true righteousness. The thrust is what are you for real? I'm not asking what do you do. I'm saying who are you? Who are you when no one's looking? Who, Who is the, I don't know if this is good English, who is the you? Who is the you that only Jesus can see? Is the you that only Jesus can see the same as what we all can see? That's what he's getting at. So here's the task of the sermon. Here's where we apply. As the Sermon on the Mount itself makes clear, what's that next word? Come on, everybody. Say it again internal changes also bring external changes when our attitudes and thinking are right our actions will do what if our inner life doesn't make our outer life better our inner life is deficient or non-existent we know this james says that faith without works is dead you don't listen You don't work to get to heaven. You get to heaven by faith. But he says, if the kind of faith you have does not produce works, you don't have the right faith. I don't get saved by works. But my salvation produces works in my life. If that makes sense, say amen. Now watch. Let's keep reading. This is it right here, guys. This is it right here. What kind of Christians? Come on. Come on. Faithful Christians are concerned about the letter of God's Word. But beyond that, they are also concerned about the Spirit, the deeper will and purpose that lies behind the letter. That concern reveals an obedient heart filled with the desire to glorify the Lord. To claim to follow the Spirit without obeying the letter is to be a liar. To follow the letter without the Spirit is to be a hypocrite. In other words, you may not kill somebody, but you may be full of anger. That just makes you a hypocrite. Y'all with me? Now watch. To follow the letter without the Spirit is to be a hypocrite. To follow the Spirit in the right attitude and the letter in the right action is to be a faithful child of God and what? A loyal... In other words, men, God doesn't want you to just keep your hands off of other women. God wants you to keep your mind off of other women. Not not just because it's what your wife deserves. Not just because it is a holy, righteous thing. It is coming out of a desire to glorify God. Maybe I can put it this way. I I, I was really really worried that I'm not going to articulate this in a way everybody gets, but hopefully this will do it. How many of y'all know as a child we progress in our relationship with our parents? And we do things for different reasons at different stages of our childhood. And some of y'all, if you will get this, it will drastically change your relationship with your kid and will make your life a whole lot easier. And, then, and I'll explain. In the first stage of life, I obeyed my parents out of a fear of what they would do to me. Now, I don't know how you act, and I don't know, and I'm I'm just going to lay this out there, and if you throw a rock in a pack of dogs and you start howling, we know we got you. (laughs) But if you sit there and you try to rationalize with a toddler and try to explain things with a toddler, they're going to drive you insane. When you start out with a child, you need to tell them no. And not just one two, three. That is ignorant. Because if you never respond to you get to seven or eight, that child's gonna know that and he's gonna push you to seven to eight every time. But if you tell him no and you go over and jack him up and explain to him. How many of y'all have ever heard of a woodshed? How many of y'all know a closet can be a woodshed? A hallway can be a woodshed. In my case, an aisle at Walmart can be a woodshed. <laughs> and I, I obeyed, I obeyed my father because I've heard this sound. <laughs> How many of y'all have heard that sound in your life? It's the sound of a 42 belt coming out of belt loose at a massive, massive rate of speed. I didn't do it because I understood I wasn't supposed to steal. I wasn't supposed to stick my hand in a light socket. That I, He didn't rationalize nothing with me. He didn't explain anything to me. He didn't sit me down and try to help me understand nothing. He said no, and I knew if I did it, here comes that belt. And so my relationship began with fear. But then it moved, then it moved to reward, reward. In other words, I realized that if I behaved, it was better for me. Y'all with me? And not just better for me, it didn't keep that belt around his waist. He also blessed me. He also blessed me. And some of y'all are trying to get the cart ahead of the horse. You're trying to reward, and you're trying to get to stage three. Don't, don't bless till they understand no. And if you said no, you better mean no. Anyway, anyway. So it, it went. my relationship went from fear to reward. I'm going to get blessed if I act like somebody. I'm going to get blessed if I do right. I'm going to get blessed. It's going to be good for my life. I'm going to be a whole, whole lot more healthier. But then I matured to a place that I, I, I wasn't afraid. I, I wasn't going to get no belt, and I didn't care about the reward. I just wanted to please my father. Y'all, you y'all, y'all, picking up what I'm putting down. And see, I shouldn't. I, I, I shouldn't not commit adultery because I don't want Tammy to kill me. And that's a great possibility. That shouldn't be. My, that shouldn't be my motive. I should. And, and, and guys, come on, come on, stay with me, guys. I don't know if you understand this or not. But guys, when you look at stuff you ain't supposed to look at, it reprograms your brain. Now the world ain't going to tell you this. The world going to say, oh, pornography's okay, it's no problem. It will reprogram your brain so you won't ever be satisfied. And you won't ever be fulfilled and it will ruin you. But watch this. I shouldn't just not do that so I could be satisfied and fulfilled and rewarded with my relationship with my wife. I shouldn't commit adultery or look upon a woman to lust after her so that I could be pleasing and glorify my Father. Y'all see where I'm going with this? You see, there was a time in, in, in fundamentalism where fundamental preachers tried to control people by hard, harsh preaching. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And what basically happened, they conformed people to their set of rules. In other words, they were trying to change and form people all on the outside and not on the inside. So what happened? The next preacher that come by who had a different set of rules and they just started conforming to that set. And it was all what? Outside, external. But what happens when we go to working on the inside? We start preaching the word and invest the word into them. You ain't got to work on the outside. Brother Rufus Edmondson gave this illustration, which is kind of hard to believe because he's he's a meanest preacher. I know. (laughs) I love him, though. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love him with all my heart. But I'm talking about he's tough. But he said this. He said that he he, he had an old horse one day. And he had a curry cone. Anybody know what that is? A curry comb. Apparently it's a painful one. But he said he was snatching that horse and pulling on that horse. And that horse was just uncomfortable because he was going to slam to the hide. And his pawpaw come up. And was watching him snatch on that horse and try to pull that hair off of that horse. And you know, all I guess a winter coat I reckon. He said, boy. He said, if you'll feed that horse a little extra every day. Give that horse better food, he's that hair will fall off all by itself. And you know what? We've we've gone through a generation of preachers beating up people with curry cones yes. instead of just feeding them. Now my point is this do you match? The person at home, is he the same one that just sang a while ago, how great is our God. If it's not, we got work to do. How do you do that? Come closer to Jesus. When you start praying this, when you start praying, Lord, I, I Kim, are you in here somewhere? I know you are at Jack's. There you are. Can I, can I tell them what you told me, your testimony about? Can I do that? I was going to do it anyway, but I was just going to make sure. (laughs) Kim said he woke up that morning. Because I've been talking about preaching Wednesday night. we, we We were preaching about in our DMD meetings about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That in the morning you wake up and say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. That means control me. Control me, guide me, my words, my actions, my behavior, control me. He said, boy, the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. Boy, it was bothering me, it was bothering me, it was bothering me. You know why? The Holy Spirit seen some stuff he needed to get out. You need to get saved. He said, man, I kept praying, Lord, fill me. And, and then he said, this is what the Holy Spirit said. I got to fix you before I can fill you. So right there in the chicken litter. Y'all with me? Right there. He got saved. Now here's, oh, oh I'm running out of time. This is what I want to tell you. If you'll start asking God to fill you, he will start revealing the parts of you that don't match. Did you hear what I just said? Because that was good. I didn't even have that in the notes. God just gave me that one. God will start revealing you those things in you that don't match what everybody else thinks you are. And he says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're in trouble. Let me ask you a question. Are you the same? When you leave here and you get all by yourself, are you the same? If not, it's time to get that way. He's not saying, and and, and please, I want to throw this in here just just so no ignorant person leaves and says this. I've heard moronic, ignorant men say, Well, I'm, if I'm thinking I might as well do it, it's the same thing. No, it's not. That is not what he's saying. That is not what he's teaching. It is worse. He's saying, I want to change your heart, not just your hand. So, does everybody understand that? Say amen. amen. Do you match? I want to. I want to. Brother John, I'm telling you, since we've started this, and I've been praying, Lord, fill me. He's been showing me things, Ooh. and I've been working on me. Paul says this is a lifelong process. This is a lifelong process, but you got to start somewhere. Well, I'm just going to stay like I am. No, you can't now. You can't now because now you you you're, you're going to be held accountable for what you know. Now you're going to have to deal with it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give an invitation. God may have told you today you're not saved. Well, if that's so, and he's dealing with you that right now, you need to come and trust and and talk to one of our prayer partners. Say, I need to get saved. God may have told you today that, hey, you're saved, but you ain't acting like it on the inside. You may have everybody fooled on the outside, but I can see the inside. You need to come and get that right and start saying, God, change me. In other words, I don't want to just be right or not commit adultery or not commit murder because I'm afraid of the consequences. I want to behave and not commit adultery and not commit murder because I want to glorify Jesus Christ in my life. That's where we all need to be. I hope your motivation for doing right is not out of fear or not even out of reward because God's going to bless you. It's out of a desire from a child of God that desires to glorify their father. Because that's mature Christianity. And all God's people say it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word.